What if everything came with a free Star Wars audiobook from Audible? Like at the cantina. I'll take a half-calf spotchka. Lightweight. Here's your free audiobook download for Master and Apprentice from Audible. Or getting your pod racer serviced. My pod racer needs upgrades to the coupling and stabilizer. And here's your free audiobook download for Resistance Reborn from Audible. Life in the galaxy doesn't work that way, but there is one place you can go where you can get a free Star Wars audiobook from Audible. And that's utini.com slash audible. Click the Audible logo and start your 30-day free trial, which includes a free audiobook download. So visit utini.com slash audible and get your free Star Wars audiobook download today. This is George Mann, author of Myths and Fables and Dark Legends, and you're listening to The Living Force. Welcome to the Living Force Podcast. The Force is with you, young Skywalker. But you are not a Jedi yet. A Utini production. Darkness rises and light to meet it. Episode 67, interview with Star Wars author George Mann. I have been expecting you. On this episode, the Utini team talks with George Mann, author of the new Star Wars novel, Dark Legends. Impressive. And now, here are your hosts, Eric Eilerson and Dr. Charles Henkel. Utini! Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special edition of The Living Force. I am one of your hosts, Eric Eilerson. I am so pleased to be joined on a rather sunny afternoon in my world by Dr. Charles Henkel. Hey, buddy. Hello there. Happy to have you. And we have officially fired Dr. Corey Helton from the show, and we have replaced him with renowned author <laughs> of Star Wars Myths and Fables. And as of today, hopefully based on the edit, Star Wars Dark Legends, George Mann. Hello. Hey, good to see you guys. Oh, so happy to have you back on the show. We were lucky enough to talk to George last year when Myths and Fables came out and blew us all away. Uh, and when we heard Dark Legends coming out, we couldn't wait to have you back. So we are so stoked to talk to you about this new, really fun, cool collection of unique Star Wars stories. I mean, this is this is quick, I feel. So, well, you you know? mean, quick after the last one? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I guess the, the thing is, we didn't really stop. Um, we just had so much fun doing the first the first book. That, um, you know, we, there's obviously, there's the special edition coming out as well. And I think mm-hmm. um, the, the cover went around on Twitter last night as well. Yeah. Uh, the Lucasfilm panel for San Diego Comic-Con at home. Um, went out and that's got six extra stories in it so we kind of went main book six extra stories and then we kind of just went oh let's just keep going and do what we we kind of talked about originally as a Halloween type book um, which is yeah. turned into Dark Legends which is which is absolutely fantastic I mean I know that again barring the the larger issues of the world right now we would all love to be at Galaxy's Edge picking up those extra six stories but but at some point um, yeah. we will we'll get around to there I'm for I'm sure um, now, speaking of the last year as a whole, uh, a lot has happened since Myths and Fables dropped, both in the world, in Star Wars world, Star Wars publishing. I mean, it's hard to imagine that was only a year ago. Uh, I want to ask, start, how has your personal career changed since becoming part of Star Wars? Oh, good question. I mean, um, I'm, I'm very happy to say things have been on a kind of what feels like an upward trajectory for me, um, writing-wise. I mean, um, Myths and Fables was my first, obviously, Star Wars um, gig, and, um, and going straight into Dark Legends felt like 
you know, well, I must have done something right if the guys, <laughs> which, which was a yeah. nice, like, bit of validation, I suppose. Um, yeah. And I have to say, like, the Star Wars community has been so welcoming and so um, kind about the book. And, um, you know, thankfully, people seem to have enjoyed it. So, um, so it's kind of, that's been a real boost. Um, and yeah, I mean, I've carried on doing my own writing as well. So I've got kind of some my original novels. Um, I've got some original comic series. Um, actually, you know, a couple um, of TV shows based on some of my books are in the works at the moment as well, which is really exciting. Um, so, um, so yeah, although, you know, obviously everything that's happened in the last few months with, with COVID has been a setback mm-hmm. for everyone. Sure, for yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm not immune to that, obviously, as well. I mean, I'm lucky... I'm a writer. I work from home most of the time. So, you know, right. it's not been a big system shock in, in that sense, but you know, comic stores were shut. So comic publishers were shutting and or putting projects on hiatus because they had no outlet for them. Um, Barnes and Noble weren't open, you know, so there wasn't right. a lot of book publishing going on. And at one point I wasn't even sure if, if like dark legends would make it out on time because we didn't know what the landscape was going to be like, right. whether there was going to be bookshops open to, to receive it and sell it. Um, but thankfully, you know, we've, we've got to a place where publishing's kind of starting back up again now. So, um, yeah. so it's been a, a, a up and down year, really, I think. Yeah, and, and it's, been, it's been wild to watch that from, from our point of view, too. I mean, like you, like you mentioned, the book publishers, like the, uh, the Shadowfall Barnes & Noble edition didn't get released because they didn't know if it was going to be open. Mm-hmm. The comics, like you were saying, because um, you're obviously also a comic writer, like the whole industry has just kind of now finally restarted. Um, obviously all the higher public stuff being pushed to January has, has been wild, but we are, we are definitely glad that dark legends is going to brighten up and spookify, uh, July a little bit. <laughs> I think we all, we definitely all need it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And kind of speaking of the, the spookifying, so, you know, <laughs> myths and fables and dark legends, they are a similar format in that they're these short stories. Um, but the stories themselves are really, really different as far as the tone goes, uh, so yeah. how different was it, you know, writing these stories as opposed to your first go around with myth, uh, with myths and fables? Good question. Um, I, I guess it was, it was a similar process, but we were calling on, um, different kind of inspirations. So, um, like Mike Seglane, um, who's the you know, creative director at, at Lucasfilm Publishing, um, he's a huge horror fan. Um, and we share, share kind of enthusiasm for like universal horror, for hammer horror you know, classic ghost stories. So we had a lot of the same touch points. Um, so we kind of, when we went into this, I, one of the things that sparked it was, apart from our kind of love of horror, is the fact that when I first pitched Myths and Fables, I, I can't remember whether I, I kind of mentioned this before, but um, I kind of pitched more stories than we could use. We kind of yeah. threw those ideas out there and we kind of, well, some of those ideas were things that we really liked, but weren't, you know, we wanted a spread of different types of stories in this and fables. So that, you know, you've got a little bit of spookiness with the witch and the Wookiee and gaze of stone is a bit of a darker story, but, <laughs> a a bit. Of- <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but those, those kind of two stories kind of set the tone for, for this. Cause we had a few other ideas along those lines and then kind of, I got talking to Mike about it and we said, well, you know, we've got to hit some of the archetypes. So we want a kind of story that feels a bit Jekyll and Hyde and we want a story that's a bit kind of, um, vampire you know, uh, werewolf type story. But I thought, well, I don't want to just hit those notes. I want to take them and Star Warsify them and put a twist mm-hmm. on them, something a bit different. 
Um, so we did went through the same process again. So I kind of took a couple of ideas I'd had before and reshaped them, added a load of new ones, went in with a whole bunch more, and we cherry picked from those again. Um, but tone wise, what was really interesting is kind of I I kind of hit. I think I aimed for the same tone as I had with Missing Fables in the first with the first kind of drafts of the stories and. Um, Mike kept coming back to me going, make them a bit darker. Go on, I can go further, you can go further. I'm going like, but these have to be suitable well for kids as well as adults. And then he's like, just push it, it's okay. It's, it sounds like a Sith Lord in your ear. Like, <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, with my shoulder. Um, yeah. But I'm glad he did, because we, we did push it that bit further. And, and like, I, again, what we talked about last time, you, you go back to like Grimm's fairy tales and those stories are dark and really quite kind of scary sometimes. So we kind of, didn't feel we were going beyond that, if you see what I mean. We were kind of being mm-hmm. true to kind of folklorish origins of the, and, and the ghost story origins of the type of stories we want to tell. And because they've got a, like a moral centre to them as well, they're like, bad things happen to bad people. But it's not, right. you don't really have good guys getting hurt unnecessarily in the stories, if you see mm-hmm. what I mean. So there's kind of a moral there as well that's like, well, I suppose... For, for readers reading it, you know, it's a it's it's a a lesson in kind of don't behave like this, otherwise these things will happen to you. But if you if you behave well, they probably won't. So it's you know, um, you can you can save yourself from that scariness by being well behaved. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which which is fun because I remember you said uh, in the first book you really liked the idea that you know adults and kids could read these but also these could be the the stories that the kids in universe would hear and that would teach them and i think dark legends definitely does that as well um again as as being fortunate enough to have read them uh they definitely have that that idea of putting a kid to bed that's maybe had a temper tantrum that day and said all right before you go to sleep (laughs) (laughs) something to remember (laughs) yeah and i really enjoy that and i think you know Things like stories like, um, I'm, I'm sure we're probably going to get onto some of the, the, the stories, but stories like The Orphanage, which I kind of very purposefully wanted to tell from a child's point of view, partly because I didn't want to tell the story from the point of view of the Grand Inquisitor because I wanted to kind of make him the monster of the piece, but also from the point of the kind of Jedi survivor in that story as well, because then you've got, you've got a very specific pers- perspective when you're writing for, from those sorts of characters, whereas putting it in the child's point of view, it, you've got this kind of, a naivety to it um, mm-hmm. you can you get to experience it from from that point of view and and actually I think that's probably the one story in the book that has kind of a vaguely happy ending um, yeah yeah I think call that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely <laughs> I, I think you actually brought up the orphanage uh, the last time that you were on the show with us in particular to kind of give us an idea of the of the flavor and the tone of this project and and that was the promotional image that was first released at New York Comic Con, if I'm not mistaken, was the Grand Inquisitor um, in that kind of vein of Nosferatu, you know, that image. Um, and you just mentioned a few minutes ago that you're a big fan of the old like Hammer films and, and those horror stories. Is there any particular connection you have with those stories or is there one that like is your go to like that you have just always loved above the others? Ooh. That's a good question. Um, there's a couple, really, I think. Not necessarily Hammer, but kind of old school sure. uh, horror. Actually, particularly the British school as well. I don't know how well you guys know this stuff over there, but obviously you know Christopher Lee and, and you know, Peter oh, yeah. um, Cushing right. and, and kind of and their friendship and, and professional capacity. Um, 
But there's a, there's a particular film called Night of the Demon, which I absolutely adore. Um, I think it's called Curse of the Demon in the States. I don't know if you've seen it. It's because uh, um, mm. Dana Andrews, um, and it's from the 50s. It's like a black and white movie. And it's based on M.R. James, um, um, Casting the Runes is the short story it's based on. And it's just, it's phenomenal. Just because the, um, the level of tension that goes through it, you hardly ever see the monster in it. There is like, there is a demon creature in it. It's essentially, this, I mean, it's, it's a spoiler, but it's like a 70 year old movie. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll allow it. Yeah. <laughs> um, is up. The, yeah. kind of the story is um, about like a, a, a black magic pagan curse, essentially. It's, it's, um, it's all very subtly done. Like an American reporter comes in um, who is a debunker. His job is to like to debunk people who claim to have kind of black magic or, or occult powers. Um, and he goes up against this guy, um, Carswell, who has this slip of, he gives him a slip of paper with some runes on it, basically, which mm. once, it, once it's been given, the only way um, you can, can get rid of it is to give it back to the person who gave it to you. Um, and otherwise this demon is going to come for you. So the whole film is about him basically unraveling because he knows this thing's coming for him and he's trying desperately to trick the guy to have the thing back. Um, so while we didn't like reference that story particularly in the in the book, I, what I did want to do is get that sense of tension in some of the stories. Mm-hmm. That kind of like you know things are going wrong, and, and actually in some instances, you know, as the viewer or the reader in this case, you know more than the characters, and you yeah. know that the danger's there. And, and you know, one of the things about this kind of horror story uh, um, is that idea of um, watching someone fall by degrees. You know, that like mm-hmm. they make a bad decision and they at, at, at first they could kind of walk back from that but then they try to put it right by making a worse decision and it becomes this kind of trap that they fall into and um and you know and as as the reader or the viewer you're kind of going no 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 don't do it don't do it <laughs> oh you've done it you've done it <laughs> um, and that's kind of um how i kind of see the path of the dark side that mm-hmm. it's oh, yeah. you know it, it's it's a it's the road of good intentions that you're yeah. constantly trying to make these decisions and they feel like small decisions at first. Oh, you know, I could just, if I use that, that little bit of dark side power just to defeat my enemy, who's, re- who's the real villain here, yeah. then actually, I've, you know, I've just used a bit of their own power against them and it just opens that chink and then suddenly it becomes, and we've seen it time and time again in Star Wars, it's that, you know, that road. Um, so I wanted to kind of get some of that in there as well and that's something that comes out of those films. Um, and there is another specific example. Um, there's a, a classic kind of monkey's paw. Um, I can't remember which, which one it is. Um, film with Peter Cushing as a shopkeeper, a curio, a curio shopkeeper. And basically the things that people come in and buy are cursed objects. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you then get their story. And that's mm-hmm. kind of what I wanted to do with the Doc Ondor story here. And kind of the idea of the, the curator who's a bit knowing and lets people damn themselves in the way we've just described. Absolutely. And yeah, I mean, I, I was just going to say, I'm, I'm looking at the beginning and it reminds me like Buyer Beware, Gilded Cage are, are definitely stories in Dark Legends that'll, that are kind of everything you're just saying. And I wanted to ask about those kinds of stories. It seems that Dark Legends is full of stories that are very much about the villains, quote unquote, kind of creating their own demise, like you're saying. Like they'll make a choice and they'll go further. And it's kind of like we we are the ones that make our own horror. Like there are ones, there are some monster tales for sure, but as opposed to myths and fables seem to be a little more about some external forces like the Vader story being the boogeyman and things. Whereas dark legends is more of, we make our own prisons and things like that. 
Was that something that was very important to you from the start of writing? Or is that also a direction where Michael was like, hey, you can make it darker by just having this guy destroy <laughs> himself? Um, no, I don't think we ever talked about that. I think it was. That's, that's something that I, I kind of brought to it. Because I, I, from my point of view, I, I just think, you know, no one is an out. I mean, yes, in fiction, there are out and out villains. But even someone yeah. like Vader isn't an out and out villain. You know, mm-hmm. as proved by what happens at the end, you know, when he, when he redeems himself. Um, I'm, also I'm, a spoiler from an old movie. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, but um, I think, so Shades of Grey, you know, um, and yes, there are monsters. There are, and there are monster stories, uh, of course. But actually, yeah, I think most villains fall into that trap themselves or they, or they, they make themselves into, the, into who they are. Um, mm-hmm. and, and actually, that is a theme that keeps coming back in these stories, isn't it? It's, um, it's in the Exegol story as well. It's, you know, that, yeah. that idea of, you know, I'm leading myself down this path because I'm so, so fixated on, on achieving this that, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do whatever's necessary. Yeah. Um, oh, man. I, I, am, I am holding my mouth shut about that Exegol story uh, for all you reading it. Yeah, it is. It is definitely, again, one of those cases like you're saying, where as the reader, you, you, you put these beautiful breadcrumbs in that we can see, wait, is this, is this? And then you can't stop the character from going down that path. And it is, it is one of those wrenching nightmare stories, for sure. Yeah. And what the interesting kind of, I think the, probably the story that is the most kind of opposite to all of that, really, is the, is the Vader story, Predecessor. Mm-hmm. In that, I think my, my starting point with that one was to go, in the movies, we see Vader kind of like for, force choking people left, right, and center. You know, Imperial Officer B says something, gets choked. <laughs> Someone else steps up to the plate, takes his place. Yes, Lord Vader, I'll sort it all out, you know. Right. Um, and I, I kind of, I've always come away thinking, those people must live in abject fear, like absolute terror, because if they say the wrong thing, they're going to get choked to death. Um, what is the impact of Vader when he's not there? The, these actions that seem quite flippant, you know, he does it and then he, he marches off and we never, we never address it. We never go back to it. And I was kind of trying to work through what is the psychological impact that that has on those other people who work on that Star Destroyer and how they, how they feel about it, which is kind of where predecessor came from that idea of this guy who, again, it, I guess it becomes a self fulfilling prophecy mm-hmm. um, in the story, but it's kind of not his fault. He's, He's unraveling because of what's been going on around him and ends up kind of, you know, well, he's on the cover of the book. He ends up getting choked right. by Vader. You know? Right. <laughs> but, it, you know, and again, it's, it, the, the path is very similar in the sense of, like, if he, he could have stopped that happening, but mm-hmm. this time it was more of, a, of an outside influence affecting his judgment and his, you know, on what's going on in his head. Um, so kind of slightly different approach. Yeah, sure. definitely. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. Um, I I'm so excited about this project just overall. Um, but you know, George, we have a friend in common, uh, right. Mr. Kevin Scott, who oh, yeah. is a friend of the show, um, one of our favorite writers that we've talked to as well. Um, y'all appear to have like a really wonderful friendship um, that has blossomed recently that, that we've been able to see from the outside into a whole bunch of different creative adventures, but including y'all's live streams about, you know, the writing process, promoting each other's work on, on social media. What's it like getting to navigate the Star Wars publishing world with such a good friend who's also involved? 
It's great. Um, so Calvin and I have been friends since like two, 2010, I think. Um, so good, you know, good 10 years. And, and we're friends first and foremost before we're yeah. colleagues. Um, you know, brothers from another mother and all that. Um, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, you know, so we're, 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 we're very close friends. And um, we've, we kind of decided we wanted to do some work projects together. So we kind of tentatively tested the water to see how we get on writing together and working together. And, um, you know, I, I don't know how much you know about our background, but we've both done quite a lot of Doctor Who writing in our time as well. Right. And we, we did a few Doctor Who projects together. They were our kind of first projects, some comics and some radio plays. Um, I had a, a, a real hoot doing them as well. Um, and then it was Cav who first got a, a Star Wars gig with um, Wild Space. Um, right, right, right. And, you know, and went off and, and obviously Cav's career with Star Wars has just gone stellar. Um, which You're doing been, okay. Yeah. yeah it's, been, <laughs> it's been brilliant to see, you know. Um, and it was actually, you know, it was because of, of Cav's relationship with Star Wars uh, that I got to meet Mike Siglane, actually just in, in, socially at San Diego Comic-Con because we were all having drinks together. Um, wow. And at, at no point was I kind of like pushing on him, I want to write Star Wars. Inside I was going, I want to write Star Wars. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, actually we, we bonded over the horror movies and geek culture and, and a mutual mm -hmm. love of kind of lots of, touchstones including star wars um but at no point did i turn around and go i want to write star wars mike um but i i think i might have mentioned last time we talked what happened after that is we kind of followed each other on social media and i released a kind of sp sp a spooky novel um mm -hmm. kind of witchwood uh, which is a supernatural crime novel and mike bought it and read it and then i saw him again at new york comic con just socially and he took me to one side and went, right, I've read Witchwood. Do you want to write some Star Wars? Um, and do you want to do that with Star Wars? So even at that, that point, we were kind of talking about the spooky stuff, really, as mm -hmm. much as anything else. Um, sure. So that's, so, so Cav was absolutely um, fundamental to my introduction to kind of writing Star Wars professionally. Um, and we'd love to do some Star Wars together as well. Um, that's, you know, something we, we, we keep talking about and I'm sure will happen at some point. Um, yeah. We've yeah. just done um, a Sherlock Holmes book, uh, radio play right. for Audible, um, Voice of Treason, um, which was the longest thing we've done together. It was kind of a 10 hour drama. And that was, that was huge fun because we just kind of just got each other on Skype and, and we were sitting writing, um, you know, he was writing one chapter, I was writing the next, and then we'd switch and rewrite each other. Oh, wow. Wow, got, that's awesome. We got, we got to a point where we just trust each other so much that we, there's no kind of ego in it. Like we'll just write, overwrite each other to make it better. And mm -hmm. it comes a, a stronger thing because we've both had an input to it and, and it's got both of our voices in it. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's great. It's, it's, you know, he's a mate and a colleague. Man. Well, I mean, given that, uh, we just got the release of another Star Wars audio drama in Afro last week. Um, yeah. and there seems to be a, a brand new, time period that everyone wants to explore next year i i don't know maybe we need two guys to write a higher public audio drama from our from our <laughs> mouths to del rey's ears that would be Let's, amazing. That would be amazing brilliant um but uh taking a a quick detour from star wars for a second you have like you've been saying had a, continuing to work on a bunch of other projects this year like you just had uh, engine word number one just came out you're writing comics you're writing all kinds of other stuff uh, everyone go pick that up by the way um does it feel 
different at all now working on your other projects now than it did before you were also a Star Wars writer? Like, is there a thing like in the back of your head saying, I'm doing this. Oh man, I'm also writing Star Wars now. Like, is, or is it, are you able to like segment them? I think you have to segment them because otherwise you, you, you drive yourself mad. And I think you have to be able to, to get yourself into the frame of mind to go, I need to live in the project I'm writing and give it my all. Um, but there's definitely, um, like Engine Ward is a, is a prime example. It's kind of a science fiction story. Um, it's, it doesn't really bear any relation to Star Wars, but it's, there's definitely been people who've been checking it out because they've read myths and fables. They've seen the work I've done in Star Wars. They've seen I've got a kind of a science fantasy comic and they're interested to find out more about it. So mm. it's definitely helped that way as well. Um, and I think the other thing is kind of, I'll always make time for Star Wars, you know, because it's Star Wars. So right. you know, I'm, I'm very keen to kind of say to, to, to the guys at Lucasfilm, like, I'm planning my next six months. I'm going to write this book for myself. Is there, have you got me in mind for anything? Because if you have, I'm going to make sure I book out that time so that I don't fill it with something else. Um, oh, yeah. I guess I never... Yeah, in the, in the freelance and the writing world, I never realized that this how schedules have to be made, though. That's totally right. Yeah, I mean, you, generally, you're lucky if you can see six months into the future as a, as a full-time sure. freelance writer because, you know, that projects roll like that. But... Um, yeah, you know, I'm never going to turn down a Star Wars project, even if I'm writing something else and, and Mike calls me up and says, do you want, do you want to do this Star Wars project? I'm yes, I will, Mike. And then I'll panic <laughs> figure out how to, to make it work. But, sure. um, but yeah, I mean, to have an ongoing dialogue and a, build a relationship with those guys is, is perfect. And they're, and, you know, and they're wonderful people to work with at Lucasfilm. Um, so building that relationship, so there's a gig there. If I know if, if there's something coming, I can plan around it is, is the perfect situation because then I can make sure I can do the stuff that I want to do and, and say that I can't do within the Star Wars universe mm -hmm. and then make sure that I kind of save that time to do something Star Wars as well. That's, that's, that's what I hope to do. Brilliant. Yeah, the best of both worlds is what that sounds like. Yeah. Um, it, it does, I do feel very, very lucky to be in that situation at the moment where you know, I've got a Star Wars book out and I've just had my own creator own comic come out. And it's kind of like, you know, it's, um, it's taken 20 years to get here. But, I, you know, at yeah. the same time, we're very lucky to be here. For right. sure. Well, we, we feel lucky to have you as part of the Star Wars universe as well. Um, you know, getting back to Dark Legends a little bit, we talked about how these stories had kind of a darker twist. But yeah. are there any tales that you wrote for this project in particular that you kind of surprised yourself with with either how dark they got or a turn that it that a character took or anything like that oh well, let me think um i think well the orphanage I, I know we've talked about it a lot already but that that was the story that kind of surprised me in the sense that um it was the, it was the story that unlocked the whole book mm -hmm. because you know at, at the point where i was gener trying to generate ideas what these stories could be like and once you, when you've got a blank canvas, it can be a bit daunting, you know, I, I'm sure you, you, know, you guys must, must feel about any new project where you look at it and you go, well, all the possibilities are there. So what am I going to do? And I was starting to kind of throw ideas down and we were, we were bouncing this back and forth and, you know, we'd, we'd said, oh, you know, let's do something that's a bit um, Jekyll and Hyde, which obviously we did in, in um, what's the story called? The Dark Mirror. But... Um, it was when I had that idea, basically I was watching Rebels again, as you do. And, oh, yeah. uh, um, 
and the Grand Inquisitor appeared on the screen and with his sharp teeth and that gaunt face and I just yeah. thought, vampire. And then it just clicked and I just went, oh, he's Nosferatu. So I immediately emailed Mike and just went, and all the, the email just said, Grand Inquisitor as Nosferatu. And he just wrote back in capitals, you have to do this now. <laughs> um, wow. so it was amazing. Yes. So that was the first thing. That, so then I kind of went straight into it and that unlocked it because I kind of went, right, this is setting the tone for the whole thing. And at that, at that point, I was, I, was, I was a bit worried because, you know, Star Wars kind of skirts around that whole idea. Um, and you, and you, obviously you do see it with, um, with Anakin when he's turning into Darth Vader of kind of the, the four sensitive children and what happens to them and all of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was kind of thinking, well, this is quite dark. You know, I'm going down a, a pretty bleak path here with you know, the Grand Inquisitor stealing children from an orphanage. Um, yeah, a little dark. A little dark, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But finding a finding of the way in to write that, which was, again I was doing it from the child's point of view, and um, and I wrote that I kind of wrote the outline, and then I wrote that story, and then and Grant did the piece of art, and we were kind of like, right, that's what the book's going to be like. Um, and then, yeah, I think the I think the Exegol story was darker than I I'd, I'd imagined as well. Um, mm-hmm. um, all of them, really. I mean, there's, there's not much. There's not <laughs> they much go work. there. Our, our working title for the book was Siths and Legends. Um, right. I, joking forever. title. I, I tell you what, I wish it was like in comics, you know, where you get a second printing cover and there'd be a second <laughs> printing of Dark Legends. Limited run, Siths and Legends. That would be, oh. um, so I knew all these stories were going to be leaning into that, you know, into, into what right. makes Sith tick, what, you know, um, and you know, and trying to look at the different aspects of the dark side. Um, you've got the Night Sisters, of course, as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then just characters like the the guy who has the mask in in By Beware, who is seduced by the darkness. Right. Um, um, but yeah, I really did have to kind of get myself into the the almost like a switch in my head to go right now. I need to write dark, bleak stuff, um, yeah, but also right. do it in a way that's accessible. Um, and that isn't going to be too scary. It was, you know, it's quite a hard balance. Definitely. Uh, yeah, it, it ain't called Light Legends. You know, <laughs> <it's dark. laughs> um, so we discussed uh, last time, there are, there are some pretty brutal myths, like you're saying, that are meant for children. Like you mentioned Hansel and Gretel, you're talking about Grimm and all these things. And there still is a really good moral to this story. Now, wh- we've, we've discussed a bit about the history of all these horror movies and things like that. What do you personally think this element of darkness helps accomplish to tell these stories? Like maybe better than something that's a little lighter. Like you can learn morals from a light story, but there's something about the dark ones that just seem to stick in our memory from childhood and you never forget those, you know, those, I guess, teachings. Why do you think that is? I think it's, it's a difficult one to answer actually, but, and, and you're absolutely right. I think it's um, shock value as much as anything. It's almost mm. like, um, a nice twee story, like you say, you can learn something from it. You can get a nice smiling moral at the end of it. Um, but you read something that's truly scary or truly shocks you. It stays with you. It leaves an impression on you. Um, and, I, and I think that's where it really sticks. You know, that, that idea of actually, I dreamt about that. or I had a bit of a sleepless night because I read this thing and it just kept turning over my mind. mind and you know, and, and that's where I think actually, especially when you're writing something that is intended to be a, a, a kind of all ages project, mm-hmm. there's a moral responsibility on me as a writer to make sure that um, 
that path that we talked about, that the, the, the incorrect path that the person took is visible so that the person who's reading it, especially if they're younger, can, can read that story and go, wow, something horrible happened to that person, but I understand it was their fault and they did it to themselves. And, right. And I think that's, there's, there's a kind of, I've never been a fan, I'm, I say I'm a big fan of horror, but I've never been a fan of kind of um, gore stories, you know, that are slasher picks sure. or, you know, they have their place, of course they do, but they're about sensationalism. And, mm-hmm. uh, and they don't have that kind of moral core, no, don't often have that moral core to them. Some, sometimes they do, of course. Um, and I think that's, um, that's the type of horror that I wanted to write, what, that, that had something to say. It wasn't just, just shock value. It was using the shock to, to make the point. And I think that's, that's what those stories do. It's that kind of, you know, like you say, back to Hansel and Gretel on that thing of like, my God, there are people out there who want to cook us in an oven, you know, but, <laughs> but, but they end up getting cooked in the oven themselves because of that. It's that, right. you know, horrible things happen to horrible people. Um, right. So, yeah, yeah. I, think, I think that's the, that's, it's about that shock. Yeah, and it also, you know, the way you talk about it, you also treat your audience, whether adult or child, with, with a lot of respect in these stories, I think, too, because, I mean, children are way more intelligent and able to grasp onto concepts, and I think a lot of authors give them credit for. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. I think, um, you know, I was a child who read a lot, and I read a lot of adult novels um, as a child, um, and I was very lucky to have them in the house and be exposed to them. And I, I've always believed that you don't write down to children. You just write for children. Um, mm-hmm. So um, there, are, there are obviously themes you don't want to put in a children's book that would belong in a young adult novel or an adult novel, but not in a children's book. Um, you know, high sex contents, uh, in drugs, things like that. You, you want to be avoiding those, those topics because they're not going to be suitable. But that aside, I don't think... You know, I've never tried to simplify my language or, um, you know, paint a picture in simple colours. You know, it's actually children understand complexity. Um, and actually, if there is the odd word in there that they don't know and they have to look it up and they learn that word, that's, that's got to be a good thing. That's how I learned words when I was young. I mean, that's, that's what you do. <laughs> yeah. That's how I learn words now, frankly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's a, um, a writer, probably a... Typically, I haven't got one on my shelf, but in the UK, <laughs> when we were kids, we had these Doctor Who books called Target. Um, and they were basically, this was in the days, because I'm old, these in the days before <laughs> home, like, home videos were a big deal. Um, sure. So a lot, a lot of the old Doctor Who video episodes had been trashed or just weren't commercially available. So you could watch the new Doctor stories that were on the telly, but you couldn't see past Doctor stories. And the only way you could get them was to read the novelizations. And the guy particularly who wrote a lot of these called Terence Dix, um, died recently. Um, mm. And he, there's a whole generation of, of British writers who grew up reading Terence Dix books. And he, he basically, basically gave us a lexicon. Um, so we, we learned words like capacious. Um, that's, that's the one, you know, the doctor had capacious pockets. And I, every time I'm reading a book and the word capacious comes up, I always know that that person read Terence Sticks as a kid. It's like a little, you know, <laughs> wow. um, and Cav's, Cav's the same. He grew up with these books. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that was, you know, there were lessons to be learned from, for me from those books because he, uh, Terence Sticks never talked down to his audience. Um, and, he, and he, 
he used complex words and he um, he told complex stories um, in a really clever way that was still accessible. Um, and if I can get anywhere close, like ha- close to half of what he he managed to achieve, then I feel like I'm doing the right thing. Amazing. That, and I mean, we're all here for a similar reason. I mean, George Lucas with his with the entire Star Wars story that he had a hand in, like. Yes, there are very simple ideas that he put forward, but they are presented in a very complex fashion. And we were all children, I'm assuming, when we first encountered these stories. And look where we are now. And and we're using the morals and the lessons that we took from those stories to even inform our decisions today. So there really is a power in this kind of storytelling, whether it be A New Hope or whether it be Dark Legends. Absolutely. No, I mean, that's that was that's the kind of thing that's gave me sustenance actually while working on all of these stories is that, that thing that Star Wars is a myth. It was always intended to be a myth. You know, the way uh, George Lucas set out to create the Star Wars universe, he was, he was telling a myth in the, in the kind of tr- classic tradition. Um, and, and everything's heightened and, you know, um, and there are, there are core moral lessons in those films um, and all of the spin-off media that came afterwards that, like you say, have stayed with us all. Um, so you kind of, with these books, it's, I don't mean this to sound highfalutin, you know, it's that, you know, at the end of the day, they're, they're just storybooks, but you want to continue that tradition. It's, it's you know, yeah. it, Star Wars means such a lot to me um, that to feel like I can then add back to it and contribute back to it and continue the tradition that George Lucas started is, is, is quite a big deal. It feels like a big responsibility. Sure. So, you know, I, I, I try and spend a lot of time thinking about that as I approach the stories to make sure that I'm doing justice to it. Oh, of course. And I believe the last time that we spoke to you, you actually told us that one of your favorite things to contribute is, is brand new characters, like creating yeah. these brand new characters and introducing them into the universe that we know. Um, our favorites, I think I can say Eric still being Darth Kalduth, and uh, <laughs> we're still working on getting you that action figure if we can ever find that. <laughs> Uh, but who was your favorite creation from this time around? Um, it sounds like a cheat to say, but it's still Darth Kaldoff. I mean, I, yeah. I had to, you know, I had to bring him back. Not cheat at all? Yes, <laughs> it's like, that's so good. And the guys at Lucasfilm were just were cool with it because I, I, I first I said straight away, you know, apart from the fact that that was the story that um, seemed to chime with more readers than any other. The one that most that more people talked about than any other. It was also the one where I felt, you know, what we've got here is a character whose story deserves to be told more. Um, and it just seemed like an obvious thing. If we're going to do a book with loads of stories about Sith in them, I've just got to bring Doug Kaldoff back and, and tell more of his story. Um, and um, and that's you know, so Gilded Cage was 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 there from the from the start. Um, and also, obviously, I wanted to do something with the Night Sisters, and the two things just came together. Um, and I just, I tried with that story, I tried to inject so much into it. I mean, actually the first draft of it was twice as long as it should have been. I mean, it's probably still the longest story in the book, but I had, I had to trim it out because I was like, and then Dark Kaldoff went and did this and then he did this (laughs) and they were like, you know, yeah, it can be long, but it can't be twice the length of any other story. So I was like, yeah, fair point. Um, yeah. So yet. Yet we'll say that. Like, I'm, I'm about yeah. to, I those notes are still in a dock somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Somewhere, there's there's a saved project on George's computer that says "Secret Future Darth Kaldoff Novel." And we're here <laughs> I, for it. <laughs> I want to write that book so badly, um, but yeah, I, I and I think you know, being able to to 
create a new Jedi character. I mean, obviously, you know, I don't want to give spoilers, but things happen. Sure. But mm-hmm. kind of um, what I was trying to do with that Jedi character was like, if Conan was a Jedi, he's like, uh, oh yeah, uh, it's he's, he's not Conan, but he's, he's like he's got a name that's like a kind of it's it's not like a normal uh, Jedi name. It's it's more kind of a and he's he's quite a brutal fighting machine. And I was like, yeah, that's that's what I want to do. Create new characters like that, um, right? So yeah, but I mean, what what amazed me about the book overall is the the again, just like myths and fables, uh, perhaps even more so here that the creativity that the guys allowed me to to inject into the story. So the the amount of like new characters and things that you know, like you said from the orphanage, you've got a Jedi survivor in um, the Dark Mirror. You've got new Jedi characters. Um, there's new Sith characters in the life of mortal, you know, it's, it's crazy, really. I, I, I still can't believe they let me get away with it. <laughs> well, and, and, on, and on that same token, I mean, some of the characters you're making are, are expanding themselves. I mean, Kaladoth got to mention in, in Kevin's Dooku Jedi Lost. I mean, yeah. he's expanding out and you've also then gotten to take known entities like the Night Sisters and Doc Ondar, like you mentioned earlier, like yeah. this character who is now also in a theme park you've decided this is something that he did in his life and that's great oh, that's yeah. in, that is in stone <laughs> now so like what what is that like kind of in a to mirror the new characters to realize that these large storied characters now have events in their lives placed there by you yeah it's mad it's 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 mad <laughs> you know like again you know talked about responsibility but there's, again there's a huge sense of responsibility when you approach a character that i mean you know there's a vader story in it you know I got to write Vader again. Um, yeah. yeah, and then you're right, like Doc Ondor. Well, the amount of work, I've seen the work that the Imagineers put into creating the two. I've been lucky enough to, to kind of see a lot of their documents and they poured hours and hours and hours, you know, between them, thousands of man hours into creating the background for the two. So to have that and then go, right, and I'm now going to tell a new story with that character that you've spent all this time creating is um, there's a certain weight to it that you have to you have to kind of take on board and go right. I I I need to make sure this is true to what those people who created this would want it to be, and I need to feel like it, it needs to be additive. Um, you know, you can't diminish that character in any way. You can't do something that makes them feel less exciting than they already are. You have to do something that makes them more. Um, so so yeah, it's 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 quite a thing um luckily something i've had experience of before with things like doctor who where it kind of right you know you can never quite get past the first moment when you sit down and write you know the tardis or the doctor and it's the same with vader you know vader and the star destroyer and you know and you're going wow okay take a breath away make a cup of tea come back to it and then you have to you almost have to put it aside because you almost have to go right but my job here now is to, is to write the story. I can't get hung right. up on the fact I'm writing a Vader story. I have to just write it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's the way I do that is to go, right, it's just the first draft. It doesn't matter. I just got to tell, sure. almost like I just got to write it and then it can go back and be corrected. And, and Lucasfilm Story Group can take a look at it and give me some feedback and then I can polish it and polish it until it's right. But it doesn't have to be right the first time because if you, if you get into that frame of mind, you'll never write it because you're so scared because, you know, 
again, it's a, it's a character that's loomed large in your life for, for however long you've been alive, you know, since sure. you first got to watch it. Um, so, so it can be a little scary, um, but it feels great afterwards to know you've contributed. Absolutely. Man, George, you're making me want to get back into Doctor Who. I, uh, <laughs> I, I kind of fell off a little bit after Matt Smith, um, but maybe I'll get back around to it. Um, I, yeah, I mean, it's baked into my psyche from yeah. childhood you know, over here in the UK. Um, but yeah, I was lucky enough to, to do, I wrote two novels. Um, one was a Matt Smith novel and one was um, a War Doctor novel. So set during the Time War with uh, John Hurt's Doctor. Um, oh. which was huge fun. What a performance that was, even in just oh, that small no. amount of time. Oh, yeah, man. it was amazing. Whew. Beautiful. <laughs> um, you know, so last time we talked to you, you mentioned that your son, who actually is a massive Star Wars fan, yeah. helped you with brainstorming and developing some of the ideas for myths and fables. So was it similar at all this time around? And even if it wasn't, how do you think having that kind of multi-generational input helps to develop effective myths? Oh, you're asking some great questions. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, so it was exactly the same. I went through the, the same process of, of kind of, I've got a core of an idea, James, and I want to bounce it all around off you. And, you know, a prime example of that, uh, something he added actually, is um, in, the, in the Blood Moon story. I had a, I wanted to do a cliff, a bleeding cliff of, of kyber crystal um, that was influencing the kind of Shistervanian character um, to behave like a werewolf and, um, and James was like yeah but what if it was the sun because they've said in Star Wars that there are stars with kyber hearts what if it was the sun that was flawed and, and I was like oh and there could be these like giant gouts of solar flare that are like red and they're like a, it's like a giant like Kylo Ren's hilt but on a stellar scale and and he was like, "Yes, that's more cool than including Cliff, Dad." Like, <laughs> oh right. my god! It is. Yeah, that's like is. that is such a main part of that story, too. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh! Well and done. <laughs> and it, no, exactly. And of course, it played and from there. What happens is then I then take it and go, "Werewolves and the Moon," and you go, "Okay, so planets affecting well." And so you start to lean into the the myth and you build a story with that in mind. Um, so, so yeah, so, I mean, that's, that's the most fundamental thing he did for this, for this book, but with all of the stories, you know, um, we go to the gym together, we'd be like sat on the exercise bikes and I'd go, right, I'm, I want to tell a story, you know, um, like one of the ideas I pitched was, uh, an IG-88 story. I was like, IG-88 as a Terminator, you know, so I'd go, right, let's work that up as a story today. And I bounce it around with him and go, I've got these ideas and this is how, and he'd be like, yeah, that bit's great. This bit's not so good, you know, or he'll call me up on, um, on like Star Wars knowledge and he'll go, yeah, but in this specific episode of the Clone Wars and I'll go, yes, thank you. You're right. You know? Um, so, so yeah, so he, 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 he definitely helps a lot. Um, but in terms of the other part of your question about kind of, um, building myths and things, uh, he's obviously from a, a, a younger generation. So, what I also do is once I've written the stories, even if he hasn't had any input into to kind of talking it through, is I'll, he's the first guy I go to, I print it out and take it to him and say, will you read it for me? Um, and then he'll come back to me and he's really honest with his feedback, which is really useful. And he'll say, you know, this works, but you know, um, that, you know, your references here are going over my head because you're talking about 1970s horror films again. 
I go, right, okay, I need to be wow, a bit sure, clearer. yeah. Does it work for a younger generation? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, and it'll catch me on spelling mistakes and things. It's like, it's like little assistant really um, seriously the- i'm gonna say like he's gonna he's gonna apply to be an, an editor at lucasfilm in the future and just sh- <laughs> his application is the books I mean, like, this yeah, is- yeah. <laughs> there you go absolutely no he's he's he's, he's been great because the reason I'm, i mean you know i don't have to include him in these things i can obviously I, you know i can write stories without james but it's actually right. wanting to include him because it's a father-son thing it's a you know yeah. he's like been going on 17 he spends most of his time in his room or with his friends, or playing his guitar. You know, we do a couple of things together. We go to the gym when when they're open. Obviously, not in the current situation. Um, we walk the dogs together, and this is something that we can do together. And you know, so I use it as you know, that's that's the beauty of Star Wars. It's multi generational, um, and it's it's one of the few things. Like he's even like he's kind of feels like he he's going through a phase at the moment where we used to watch all the Marvel movies together. Um, now he's older. We're watching the Netflix Marvel stuff together, but oh, he's sure, now, yeah. which, is, which has been brilliant. Um, but he's kind of reached a point where he's like, oh, I'm not so fussed about the Marvel movies anymore. I feel like you know, I want to do, I want to be onto different things. But Star Wars is still there. Star Wars is still like, you know, let's watch the new series of Clone Wars. Let's watch the Mandalorian. You know, and for me, that's kind of something to hold on to. So this is an opportunity to to bring him into what I'm doing. Wow, I. I, I, I love that as a, I mean, as a sucker for anything father-son related, real life fiction, that it, it's so awesome to hear because it is taking the, the fiction that we love and making it real world in a way that is very special. So I, I love that you guys get to do that. And, and on that similar note, actually, of, of making more of these stories and working with your son, uh, with Missing Fables, you told us that obviously you wrote a lot more stories that didn't make it into the book, six of which are coming out in the Galaxy's Edge version a lot of which made it into this version without getting too much speculation, anything like that. Was it similar this time around? Are, like, were there dark legend stories that also had to be cut that are sitting around? And on that same note with no remote official question, is there a possibility <laughs> of a third edition of George Mann star Wars stories? Um, so, well, to t- okay. So take your answers at a time. So I, yeah, I mean, I, I think I went in with 20 story ideas for Dark Legends. Um, now, there were varying degrees of development at that point. So, you know, some mm-hmm. of them are half page, some of them are one and a half pages, two, two pages of kind of an outline of the story. Um, and that's what, and it, you know, we, we, put, we tend to, the process is we kind of put those stories to um, the editors at Lucasfilm, to story group. We look at them and go, well, what's going to give us the best spread, you know, and, they'll, and I'm sure there's things where they go like, we can't cover that because we want to do something else with it or we can't, you know, mm-hmm. we're, not, we're, we're not exploring that era at the moment, park that one, et cetera. So they kind of, they come back to me and go, okay, we want, to, we want you to develop these ones. Um, so, so what I have is, well, there's still some from Myths and Fables and there's still a load from Dark Legends, which are in that kind of embryonic stage. Um, I would love to do more with them, I, but... I also wouldn't rely on uh, older ideas, you know, I think sure. it, it depends on, I mean, like, there may be one or two actually made it from the myths and fables pile into this final book. Mm-hmm. Um, and, they've, and they change quite a lot in the process. So if there's a third book comes up, um, I'd very much want to approach that and go, right, okay, what's, the, what's key to making that book a success? Have I got anything that 
that I can take and twist and change to put into that book. There were a couple of specific stories that I really, really want to tell um, that I haven't had a chance to yet. Yeah. More um, Darth Kaldoth, obviously. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> saying. Darth Kaldoth needs his own series of novels. Um, Damn straight. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I told them I want to do more. We'll see, you know, I think yeah. um, the, 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 we'll have to see how this book goes, I suppose, as well. Uh, Mr. Fables seems to have done very well. I'm hoping this book's going to do very well. Obviously, the, the world situation is slightly different at the moment. A bit, um, I yep. I don't know how it's going to affect things. Um, I, I think you know, certainly Mike has been encouraging, if not in specifics, about more books in this series. Mm-hmm. Certainly in terms of, like, he wants me, he said, you know, you're going to write more Star Wars. So what oh, that, what, what that, a sentence to hear out yeah. loud. <laughs> um, so hopefully, you know, the right projects will come up, right. the right situation, the right timings, and, and some, some things will happen. But I know certainly, you know, the indication from those guys is they're happy with the stories and they like the stories. So hopefully that'll lead to, to more Star Wars. We'll see. No question. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think we have the same hope. Um, so to kind of wrap things up a little bit, you know, last year when we talked to you, we ended things with talking about the legacy that you hope to have. Uh, or hope to leave on Star Wars. This year, we want to ask you something a little bit different. Um, It's a huge time for Star Wars publishing in terms of having new writers, new stories. I mean, we have the entire High Republic coming up. We just heard about the Empire Strikes Back version of From a Certain Point of View with just a ton of new people. Yeah. How do you think that this time in particular in Star Wars publishing is going to be remembered with all of this newness, writers, mediums, stories, all of it? It's a good question. I think um, what I'd like it to be remembered for, I think, is that, um, is that Star Wars is for everyone. Um, and from what we're seeing is um, the publishing all, in all its many forms, comics, adult novels, children's novels, is embracing diversity of voice. Uh, I think that's really important. Um, so, you know, the Star Wars universe is broad enough and wide enough to represent everyone. Um, and um, we need those voices to be to be telling us stories in the Star Wars universe because then they're going to bring a different perspective. They're going to bring a different, something new. They're going to add to the overall um, kind of the meta story of Star Wars. Um, so I think that's a really important step. And I'm glad to see that that's, seems to be happening more and more. Um, but then I think on top of that, I think it's a time of innovation as well. I think, you know, we're in a, a pause between movies. Um, you know, the Skywalker series is finished. We don't know what's coming next. Um, we know things are in the pipeline, but we don't know what's coming. Um, we've got a few years. So publishing is going to be carrying the talk. Publishing and TV, obviously, which I'm really excited about. Um, yeah. Um, but publishing is going to be carrying one of the torches of Star Wars. Um, and I think, you know, the stuff that Cav's involved in with High Republic, hugely exciting. Um, I, I, I hope that it's going to be as successful as it should be and that it continues for a good long time. Um, you know, I've obviously waved my hand and said, you know, in the future, if, I would love to contribute to that as well. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I'm sure everyone else is doing that as well. Um, but <laughs> But what I what I um, 
I love about what they're doing with the High Republic is, is it's that whole thing that we were talking about earlier about introducing new characters and new voices and right. looking at things from a different perspective. And I think that's going to keep Star Wars feeling fresh and new. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a new EU, essentially. I, I, there's no better way we could say it, honestly. That's, that's when, you know, our whole philosophy at, at Utenian Living Force is that the, the expanded universe is just that. It's something that expands, and it, it is expanding the fictional stories. It's expanding the base of people, like you're saying, that get to write and get to create. And uh, the, the future literally couldn't be brighter. I mean, I, I even think back to the High Republic announcement. There was, like, a big YouTube video. They got millions of views for a book for books like that's yeah. incredible in 20 in 2020 yeah no. absolutely marvelous well we we can't wait for that we're and we're so i know we keep saying it's so thankful to have you writing these stories um they're really special they're really something and we we really hope to uh to have you back on the third of these books or better yet when the darth Keldoth trilogy is finally announced you know even without even if god forbid there wasn't a future project george you have a standing invitation on this podcast you're an absolute pleasure to talk to uh, likewise guys i always enjoy it so much it's, so, it's a real pleasure so glad it. well before we let you go tell everyone listening now um let's see what you are able to to announce that's coming up uh what can they what of your work can they pick up and where can they find you online okay so best place to find me online is on twitter that's at george underscore man um coming up where well, engine ward has just launched you mentioned engine ward issue one it's a 12 issue run um it's tied to the, the zodiac symbol so every month there's a new issue and it's tied to the zodiac period that that month is in and it's going to be an evolving story um awesome. What else? Obviously, Dark Legends is out next week, which is or today, mm -hmm. if you're watching it today. Um, and um, I think that's probably it that I can talk about at the moment. Lots of other things in the pipeline. I, I, I never get tired of hearing that answer. It's one of my favorites. So we will, <laughs> we will um, be bringing everyone, we will be bringing you the news of George's work, obviously. Stay tuned for that. And once again, George, thanks for coming on. Thank you very much. There is no hatred. There is joy. There is no division. There is union. There is no apathy. There is passion. There is no gatekeeping. There is community. This is the Utini Star Wars fan code. Embrace it. Live by it. And above all, trust in the living force. That's all for this week. Join our community and surround yourself with like-minded fans by visiting us online at utini.com. Until next time, may the Force be with you.